We'll read chapter 12, verse 38 through 44, through the end of this chapter this morning. Hear God's holy, infallible word as it's read, beginning in verse 38. In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he sent to them, said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributions to the treasury. For they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Well, several weeks back, we saw in Jesus teaching the second greatest commandment, the, the summary of the second table of the Ten Commandments, as, as we uh, call it, uh, was love your neighbor as yourself. And a significant part of loving your neighbor is, is giving ourselves to others. There are two descriptive categories. I, I don't know the, the ultimate origin of them that I found helpful, both in describing how different people act and also in challenging my own attitudes and actions. Uh, so it, it's been said that when you enter a room or enter a conversation, you're either a here I am person or a there you are person. Right? And I think really it's, it's something of a spectrum between the two, not, not simply a, a black and white either or, but uh, if I'm a here I am person, I'm concerned for how things uh, are affecting me constantly. I come into a room, I think about who is noticing me or who will sit by me or who do I have to sit by, what will be said about my out- outfit or something like that. And in conversation, I do the talking, I ask a few questions, I assume that everyone else wants to hear me talk. If you're a there-you-are person, uh, you take primary interest in others. You come into a room and, and your interest is um, greeting people with genuine warmness, considering who you can encourage or who might uh, appreciate having someone to sit by or someone to talk to in conversation. You ask questions, you show interest, don't talk so much. Well, God provides us with daily and many opportunities either to give of ourselves to others or to take, to receive, uh, to think about ourselves, to view situations as opportunities for self and attention or to view them uh, as opportunities to encourage, to serve, and, and to give of ourselves. And Jesus instructs again and again, as he does here, that the, the character of discipleship, the nature of discipleship, is 100% a there-you-are kind of a person in terms of these categories, rather than here I am. It's, it's giving generously and sacrificially and selflessly in love in, in response, of course, to the generous and sacrificial love of God uh, for us. So today we're going to see first an example of selfish pride, of 
even true religion that's turned on its head and into something that's about self. Uh, and then secondly, uh, an example of extraordinary self-giving humility. So looking at, at number one on your outline this morning, Jesus describes for his disciples the scribes. And again, the scribes were basically rabbis. They were responsible for studying and applying and teaching God's word uh, to the people, directing them to humble faith in their God and, and to the fact that life is for the glory of God. Uh, but Jesus observes they're using their position, their influence, to, to benefit and to glorify themselves. Uh, he describes how they do that in the way they dress. Uh, verse 38, again, um, they like to walk around in long robes. Uh, now, everyone wore robes. It wasn't the robes of the longness that, that was the problem. These were what Jesus is describing as fancy robes that wealthy people or nobility would wear. There's something of an irony in this. In, in the Old Testament, God prescribed very fancy uh, special robes for the priests to wear, uh, but not to bring attention to themselves. It was to bring attention to the holiness of God and his, his relationship with the people and, and so on. And so ironically, the scribes are turning robes into a way to bring attention to themselves. They, Jesus describes them doing this in, in living for acclaim and, and praise. They like respectful greetings in the marketplaces, he says. These are, these are fancy, formal titles that, that these rabbis like to hear um, or maybe make people say or call them uh, when they're out and about uh, in public. Um, despite, again, the fact they're called to draw attention and praise to, to the name of God. Um, they're concerned with, with their names. We, we just uh, recently finished studying the... Uh, studying church history in the Middle Ages, and um, uh, one of the themes there was the the growth of the the power and the pomp of of the papacy, and we we noted the the titles that the Pope came to take to himself, uh, even to this day. Uh, here's uh, here is the title uh, to this day: Bishop of Rome, Vicar of Jesus Christ, Successor of the Prince of the Apostles. Supreme Pontiff of the Universal Church, Primate of Italy, Archbishop and Metropolitan of the Roman Province, Sovereign of the Vatican State, etc., etc. Um, doesn't reflect perhaps a humble desire to point people to the name of God alone uh, and, and the glory of that name. Uh, verse 39, Jesus says they love the chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They just love to be honored. Right They're, They were, here I am people. They show up, where's my seat? Did you save my seat up front? Right? They're, they're living to impress people, Jesus says, even in the context of worship. Again, they love the best seats at, at synagogue. This is where they went to worship. Uh, verse 40 also says, for appearance sake, they offer long prayers. So they were, they were turning even the worship of God into... Uh, something that served their egos, that brought them honor, that, that distracted from the honor of God. Uh, verse 40 also has this reference to they, they devour widows' houses. It's, it's not certain what that means exactly, uh, how that worked exactly, but by some means they're taking advantage of even widows, th those they should especially have been concerned to care for and to give to. They're even taking from widows, uh, poor widows. Well, this sort of selfish pride is, is still today a particular danger in the church. It's particularly a danger in, uh, for those in, in leadership. 
in the church, right? They especially have influence, have the attention of others, have some authority uh, that, that affords particular opportunity to manipulate things for their own benefit or attention or their own way of doing things. Right? That's why in uh, in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 and in 1 Peter 5, everywhere that elders are addressed and the qualifications for elders are addressed, every time it says not for gain. Right? It's not to be for gain. Uh, anything selfish. Uh, all of those of us here who have been ordained in this in this denomination, we've taken vow seven, uh, which says, so far as you can know in your own heart, is it the call of Christ and the glory of God and the welfare of the church and not any selfish object that moves you to undertake this sacred office? Of course, it's a, this is a danger for anyone in the church as well. Um, we can use any circumstances in life to bring praise and honor and attention to, to ourselves. Uh, and the way you dress or how you eat or posts you make on social media especially, um, all those can serve to indicate your pride, whether you're living for others or whether you're living to be well thought of, to impress, to, to glorify yourself. Um, so beware of selfish pride in, in the church. Where do... Where do you perhaps need to root that out? It could be on, on the one hand you're concerned to, to be noticed and thanked when you serve in the church. On the other hand, it could be that, that you're too busy with, with yourself and your own life to even serve others. Um, there are all kinds of ways this, this works out. We need to be on our guard against selfish pride as we, even as we gather for worship. Again, as, as that's something that Jesus addresses with the scribes. Even if they gathered for worship, they used as an, as an occasion for selfishness. That, that hopefully explains in part why in our tradition we do some things intentionally uh, the way that we do. Uh, it's why our, our theology, our broader tradition, warn against worship being anything like entertainment to us. Uh, it's uh, why we don't treat the sermon like a, a Christian comedy routine. Um, your, your pastor's not funny enough for that. Anyways, um, part of the reason why we don't spotlight soloists, we, we, we sing together as a congregation. Um, it's why we don't have symbols or decorations or plaques you know, up, up front in our worship space honoring people or memorializing people. We, we intentionally... Uh, use this time to glorify God alone. Uh, and yet, I, I, I want to quickly say, despite those kinds of intentional things that I'm, I'm glad for, uh, it, it's ultimately our hearts that, that are the greatest problem, right? And we still have those with us. Um, our hearts can find many other ways to turn even a time of worship into something that's focused on self, rather, whether, whether that's um, thinking primarily what, about what I get out of worship rather than what I'm giving to the Lord or, or thinking primarily about how I feel, again, rather than, than responding to God. So Jesus gives a strong warning here uh, after he points these things out about the scribes. He doesn't just say to his disciples, you know, look at the scribes. Isn't that bad? You know, don't, don't do that. Stay away from them. Uh, he says, Beware. And, and the word is a really strong word there in verse 38. Beware of the scribes. It's, it's, it has more intensity and, and nuance than the, the English word beware. It, um, it's, it's a constantly being 
aware. Uh, Greek dictionaries have, have something uh, like being in a constant state of alert or readiness. Um, and so Jesus isn't saying, just look at the scribes, that's bad. You know, this is something to think about occasionally. He's saying, you yourselves, be constantly guarding yourselves against selfishness, against pride. Pride that masquerades as piety or uh, selfishness that presents itself as service. These things are, are damaging to the church and the gospel. Again, in, in verse 40, Jesus said they were doing certain things all for appearance sake. It's, uh, some of what he's addressing is hypocrisy. Right? Making, making a show even of, even of religion, even of worship. Um, one commentator notes that hypocrisy uh, eclipses the glory of God. Right? What, what should be on its way to, to giving God's glory is, is, is snatched for, for self. Right? This is the reason that some of Jesus' strongest words are against hypocrisy throughout the Gospels, whether that word is used or not. J.C. Ryle um, argues this. He says, No issue drew forth from Jesus' lips such frequent, strong, and withering condemnation during the whole course of his ministry than hypocrisy. If, if, if that's correct, think about that. That means that the strongest condemnations Jesus gives are reserved not for those who are entirely reject God, for the Romans or others, but for those who, who knew that all of life is to be lived for the glory of God, who knew that, that we are helpless sinners, we're dependent on God's grace, and we're called to reflect that to others, and yet they lived for their own glory. So this is the example and, and warning of the scribes. Jesus then turns to an opposite and humble example. Look at number two on your outline. In verse 41, he sat down opposite the treasury there at the temple here and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. What, what Jesus and the disciples are observing now is, is the giving of free will offerings at, at the temple. Um, offerings for uh, really for the the, the care and the ministry of and the operations of the temple, the, the, the priests and their uh, teaching and um, carrying out the sacrifices which demonstrate the, the mercy and grace of God for the people and so on. Um, this would happen, uh, Josephus, I think, describes what this was and where this was. This was in the, one of the outer courts of the temple, the court of the women, uh, and notes there are 13 of these receptacles for these free will offerings. It was a, a box with a, a sort of long, like sort of like the tr- neck of a trumpet uh, coming out of it, uh, where you'd put your coins. And just just consider the great contrast that's presented in this this scene here. Uh, you can imagine the the rich, as Jesus observes them coming uh, with with more money, right, and 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 bigger coins and. They take longer to deposit all their coins in this in this little slot, and and they're they're big coins. They're they're making a loud noise, and and there's certainly opportunity here to impress, uh, just like what he's described with the scribes. And and to be clear, Jesus doesn't say any, anything negative about these gifts. It's it's good that the rich are coming and giving uh, their gifts, but it's certainly opportunity to to make a show. But then he observes in verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent, it says. 
In, in Luke's uh, parallel account, he describes the woman with a, a, un, a word that's only used there in the New Testament for poor. It means very poor. She's exceedingly poor. Um, and the coins that Mark says she deposited, uh, it's the Greek word lepta. Uh, these are the smallest currency that they had then. Um, like our, our pennies, right? Our penny is well, not the smallest in size, confusingly, but it's, it's the smallest denomination, right? And it's a small coin. Uh, a lepta was one one-hundredth of a denarius, is how, what the denomination was. And a denarius was, was one day's pay for, for a poor laborer. So a denarius wasn't all that much. And this uh, lepta is one one-hundredth uh, of a denarius, um, I think considering the fact that there are many poor in many countries, even still today in the world, who are making about or less than a dollar a day, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not an unfair comparison to, to, to think about a penny, uh, one one-hundredth of what is uh, a day's pay for many people in the world today. So just, you know, it's not totally unlike an adult putting two pennies in the offering plate, um, there's not as much opportunity to make a show here as, as well. They hardly make any noise falling in. Imagine someone putting in express, you know, impressive stacks of cash uh, in the offering plate, and then someone puts in two pennies. Right? It wouldn't seem like a significant gift at all. It would be viewed as as very paltry, even a you know, a, a modest budget like our church's budget would not would really be totally unaffected by that gift, right? Two pennies. If 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 the two pennies fell out of the offering plate as it's being passed around, no one would notice or care. It would make no difference. That that's the kind of gift that this widow gave. And yet, what's Jesus' evaluation of it? Verse forty-three. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, "Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more." Than all the all the contributors to the treasury. What what he means is, everyone else combined that we're watching giving in these thirteen boxes, she put in more than all of them combined. Of course, not in actual value. Her her gift was was worth virtually nothing. But in terms of personal cost, her her gift was massive. It was weighty, and theirs was comparatively. It wasn't wrong. It was good, but it was comparatively small, and light. Jesus explains why. For they put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So after their needs were met, these others who were giving, they gave comfortably out of what was left over. She didn't just give all of her surplus. Right? She gave all that she had left. Literally, again, it says she gave her whole life. Or we might say idiomatically, uh, her whole living. Right? All she had to live on. She gave out of the, you know, what she had for basic necessities of life. She wasn't saying, well, I'll, I'll give this and on my upcoming vacation I'll stay in Motel 6 instead of Marriott. Right? This was her basic needs. It was a costly, painful, sacrificial gift. Who, who would have faulted this poor widow for concluding when she looked in her money bag that morning that she didn't have anything to give that day? That, that she had to wait or who would have faulted her for giving one of her lepton and not both of them? 
Well, we always need to ask questions of uh, narrative stories in in the scriptures. Uh, Why? Why did this woman do this? How could she do this? Um, What did she presumably believe that would move her to give this way and to be commended by Jesus? What is Jesus commending her for? It, it, It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't go into detail here, but But what could we guess and presume about why Jesus commends her and why she gave so incredibly? Well, she must have given out of, uh, first, love for God. God was worth giving her whole life. His, His worship and the ministry, the means of grace there at the temple were the most valuable things on earth and, and everything else is temporary and pales in comparison. She gave out of love for God. She gave responding to the invaluable love and grace of God to her. She must also have given, certainly out of a trust for God, truly believing that God was her heavenly Father, that He cared for her. You know, whether she heard uh, Jesus' um, previous sermon or whether she just knew this already from, from her relationship with God. Jesus had said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, the body is more than clothing. And he says, Consider the ravens, right? consider the lilies, of how much more value are you than, than the birds? Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. She had to have a deep trust in God to give this way. She must have given understanding that, that being adopted as a child of God is to give, is to give your whole life to Him. Um, again, maybe you can wonder whether maybe she had heard Jesus' previous sermons and, and a previous sermon, Jesus had said, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has, what? Cannot be my disciple, Jesus said. If in some sense you haven't understood discipleship as giving, giving your whole self, giving your whole life, you're not a disciple yet, Jesus says. So unlike the scribes who are turning everything around to, to feed themselves, this poor widow who knew God understood the powerful and inestimable value of the ministry of God's grace at the temple there. And she gave of all she had. So thirdly, this morning, I want to challenge you to consider this example. And to consider how how you are giving. From what motives or convictions do you give? Now there are many ways to give of ourselves. Many ways that that we ought to be of our time, our energy, our space and hospitality, uh, our gifts, and so on. But in light of this example, in light of Jesus commending this example um, of giving to the work of God in and through his church, and the, the ongoing example of that in the book of Acts, and in 1 Corinthians, and uh, Philippians, and, and other places, the call of God and, and the opportunity to give to what King Jesus is doing in and through his church, Let's consider how, how are you giving financially? Right? We, we often talk of ways to give and serve and love and so on. We don't often talk about giving uh, in, in this sense. And, and 
there's good reason for that. I'm going to come back and say more about that in, in a little bit. But uh, first of all, as we consider that, this, this passage makes clear it's, it's not a question of a dollar amount. Uh, when Jesus says this, this woman gave more, it's not because she actually gave more in terms of coins or value. It's not a matter of comparison to others. It's, there, there's one em, uh, emphasis here on, on giving proportional to what Christ has given you. Giving proportional to how you've been blessed, to, to stewarding what you have. Uh, Phil Riken, in commenting on this scene, makes this point that we, we don't give in comparison to other people. It's not a dollar amount that's most important, but, but we give proportional to our ability, to our stewardship that Christ has given us. But then he adds this. At the same time, he says, this principle of proportionality ought to be deeply disturbing to Christians who have as much money as most Americans have. This, this question of how much you give relative to what you've been given, I think, is a profound, troubling challenge to people who have been given as much as, as we have, for at least a couple of reasons. One of those is that, that you and I are wealthy. I've made this point before. I'm not saying that. I think I say that with confidence about everyone in this room. I'm not saying it figuratively or spiritually. Um, if we're middle class 21st century Americans, uh, we, we need to, again, I've, I've made this point before, that I think to understand much of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, we have to see ourselves historically, economically, honestly, uh, to, to really get it. You and I have vast resources and luxuries uh, over against almost everybody in all of history and um, certainly far beyond our needs, our basic needs. This widow is giving out of what she had for basic human needs. Uh, maybe another reason we can need to consider, it's good to consider how we're giving, what it would mean to be generous in the kingdom of God, um, to give to the work of the Lord in a, a weighty and significant way, um, is that it's, it's sometimes supposed and stated that, that the American church is, is very generous. Um, I would suggest that by biblical standards, uh, we're not. Um, Barna Group and, and many other, uh, much other research has repeatedly concluded that less than 10% of regular church attenders in the United States uh, even tithe. Uh, less than 10%. And, and I, would, I would argue a tithe is, is a measure of, of faithfulness, um, not, of, not of generosity. Um, it's been calculated if, if all regular church attenders in the U.S. tithed, the church uh, would have $38 billion more uh, at, at its disposal. That, that's probably a conservative estimate at this point. But again, our measure is not what others are doing, but what, what is a guide? What is... What is a standard for, for giving? Well, a place to start is, is God's uh, tithe. Right? And I'm not going to take the, the time to um, argue or develop that th this morning, um, I, but I, I think the scriptures present to us that God uh, calls his people to give, give 10% of their income to um, the ministry of his church. Uh, that, that's been true for thousands of years. If if that's not something you've thought a lot about or you're convinced of, I'd be happy to talk about that later. Uh, but, but begin there. It's a, it's a biblical uh, proportional measure to, to start with, um, a measure of biblical faithfulness. Generosity, sacrificial giving, would certainly be something 
beyond that. Um, that's why we distinguish in our order of worship between tithes and, and offerings uh, beyond that. But even the tithe points to giving of our resources proportionally to, to how God has blessed us, what we've been given. Uh, in our, our uh, covenant of church membership here, uh, in, in one, of the, one of the vows includes our, our promise to give as the Lord prospers us. Right, so how does God evaluate what you're giving? Well, in this passage where this woman gives almost nothing, uh, Jesus clearly shows that in part, it's a matter of giving proportionally to what you've been given, to how you've been blessed, and, and what, what you believe of, of uh, the kingdom that you give to. But, but the heart of the matter, and I want to move quickly to this, this second point and emphasize this more, uh, is that giving is a matter of the heart. Secondly, on your outline there, this is where your focus should be as you evaluate your, your giving generously to the work of the kingdom. Uh, our focus should not be amounts or not be on amounts or percentages, things, but, but on your heart. And that's, that's implicit, I think, in this. It's not explicit in this um, scene, Jesus, where, where, scene where Jesus commends this, this widow, but I think it's clearly implicit. And elsewhere, Jesus says these things explicitly where your treasure is there your heart will be also that's also implied to be true in the reverse where where your heart is that's where your treasure will be that there's an inextricable infallible connection between the two all right you're giving of yourself your your finances your time or your energy to the kingdom of god particularly as 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 it's um manifested in, in the local church, this is where the kingdom of God is visible and active, right? Uh, is not possibly or maybe or partly connected to your heart. Uh, it's, it's absolutely, completely and perfectly connected to your heart. Uh, your heart, what, what you love, what you really live for, is infallibly revealed by your calendar and uh, your, your credit card statement and so on. Uh, you, you and I always put our money where our heart is. I, I've been profoundly challenged and, and even troubled in reflecting on that. Um, not to be clear, because I think this account here, what Jesus observes, is prescriptive for all of us, right? To give, of, give our last penny and have nothing. Any more than, than is prescriptive what Jesus tells the rich young ruler, to sell all he has and give to the poor not prescriptive for, for everyone in the church. Uh, but their heart, the, the heart of that, and, and the commitment to the kingdom of God is what is prescriptive. I think it's a comparison with the widow's heart that, that Jesus intends to commend here. And I fear that I'm giving rather than nearly everything or, or sacrificially from a heart that's totally given to God, giving nearly or next to nothing comparatively. I realize I, I reserved so much for myself of time and space and comfort and pleasure of worldly stuff that's passing away that has really little in common with, with how Jesus lived and what he commended that, that seems to belittle the, the weight of eternal glory that I have uh, in inheritance in Christ. So... Consider this with me. Challenge yourself. Which of us is giving like this widow? 
Right? Not every last penny, but giving with a heart like hers. Not giving from our leftovers, but, but giving painfully yet willingly. And, and so radically, clearly of revealing how valuable the gospel and the promises of God and, and the body of Christ are to us. How many of you have seen the, the billboards with the, um, you know, the digital update of the, the Powerball or the Mega Millions on it and, and had a little daydream while you're driving about what you would do with that you know, $273 million? Well, I have. Um, um, and, and if you're like me, maybe you've dreamed a little bit about you know, how you could, you could give, how much you could give to this or to that if, if you had those hundreds of millions. And it's, it's true, of course, you could give more if you had those millions of dollars. But, but you and I don't need a daydream to tell how generous you would be. Right? You can just look at the way you spend and give now. Generosity is not what you would do if you had more. Generosity is, is what you do with what you have now, with, with how you've been blessed. Unless you had a change of heart, not a change of income, um, your, your treasure would still be where your heart is, right? And, and vice versa. Well, I, I want to give a few, um, a few caveats on these, these applications to make sure that, that we're clear this morning. Um, I, I've still only been here a year and a half, but I hope it's clear that this sermon, this topic, is not, and these applications are not strategic, right? That the deacons didn't come to me last week and say, we really need a sermon on giving. Um, this isn't something that we, I don't think so, it's not something I do, you know, once a year or something like that. Um, it's, not an, it's not an easy um, or, or overly comfortable topic always. Um, giving is one of the most off-putting subjects in the, search, in the church for many people. Um, I, I talked not, not too long ago with a guy here in town who had left the church because um, in, in his view, at least, they, they were just talking so often about giving and, and pressuring people and talking about amounts and that kind of thing. Um, I, I have a friend who um, tells a story about going to another church uh, years ago, not, not his own, where the offering plates were passed around and then brought back up front and the pastor counted them, counted it then and there and determined it wasn't enough. And so they passed again and again until, until it was enough. Um, and so I, I think churches um, fall into two extremes. Um, understandably, on the one hand, sometimes it's just not something that's ever talked about. Even if it comes up in the scriptures, we, we skip over that. Um, and on the other hand, it, it certainly is abused um, and a, a point of pressure and, and so on. So uh, my hope is here at our church, giving is not something we talk a lot about, but it's, it's dealt with in the scriptures, and so we don't shy away from teaching the whole counsel of God as when we have, as we have now, uh, we, we come to it in, in expository chapter by chapter preaching. Um, a second related point uh, that I want to make is, is this. God doesn't need your money. Right? In, in a sense, um, you know, the, the church doesn't need your money. Now, in another very important sense, the church uh, does need, we, we do need money to do what we do. Right? I think of this scene in It's a Wonderful Life where uh, Clarence the Angel says, no, we don't use money in heaven. And, and Jimmy Stewart's character responds, well, it comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Um, 
And we, we do use means. God uses means. He uses secondary means to carry out His will. He uses people and buildings and, and money and vehicles and books and so on. But, but ultimately, whether, whether the American church had $38 billion more billion at its disposal or not is not a determining factor uh, in the growth of the kingdom. It does not restrict God. Uh, our trust is not in, is not in riches. Uh, and then and in third, a third caveat, which is really just a, a reiteration, is again that the heart is Jesus' concern, is, is the Bible's concern. Uh, giving will flow gladly from a grateful heart. And, and God would not have us be guilted into giving more or to do so reluctantly, but to be motivated as the widow must have been by love for God, by trust in God, and, and love for others. Uh, and so I just want to reiterate with you that the reasons that we have to give are not primarily because stinginess and greed are bad, which they are, uh, not primarily because we're trying to meet certain percentages or even the tithe, which is good, not because we're trying to make ourselves feel good or anything like that. We have many reasons to give. Give because you love God who's given himself and his kingdom to you. Um, and, and you give your life in service to others. Give because it expresses your joy and your hope uh, in the gospel. Uh, give because it's an expression of what you value. Give because it's, it's an act of faith. It's an act of trust that God will provide and that you have a, you have a rich and eternal inheritance. Uh, give because you're excited that, as, as Paul says, we are fellow workers with God. You get to partner with God. Uh, in, in, in the great story of redemption, uh, in seeing the gospel advance and people discipled here in this congregation or in this city, you, you get to partner with God in seeing people discipled in, through, through our missions in Sudan and China and Pakistan and India and Colombia, um, the work of the seminary, the work of the college and church planting and revitalizing struggling churches and, and on and on. I want to look at one one passage, uh, one more, one other passage with you, really briefly. So turn with me to Second Corinthians eight. Just just to uh, highlight a, a powerful example of this uh, in Paul's writing. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians here to tell them about the the offering he's going to take up uh, for the poor in Jerusalem. Um, he's, so he's telling the Corinthians about this. And he's, he's sharing the encouraging example of the Macedonians, which is where Philippi is, the Philippians, of, of their giving. So 2 Corinthians 8 says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So he's talking about these other churches, the Philippians. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, there's strange things he's bringing together here, Horrible affliction, abundance of joy, deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So the the Philippians, despite deep poverty and and great suffering, gave, um, gave liberally, generously. Why did they do that? How did they do that? He goes on, they were begging us with much begging for the privilege of participating in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord 
and to us by the will of God. They, they were begging for the, the, the privilege to participate in God's work in this. And, and this is simply what came, Paul says, out of them giving themselves first to the Lord. And, and uh, this is where their treasure went. He goes on, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. See, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm not commanding you to do the same. I'm not putting a dollar amount in front of you. Uh, but I do want you to compare yourself with what real self-giving generosity looks like in these, in these Philippians. How eager they are for the gospel. And then he concludes with the greatest motive of all. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, this is why I, I think our, our confession, our testimony, um, uh, teaches that, that we should give in the New Testament age at least as great a portion uh, as in the Old Testament. And the, the command and motive of the New Testament, the, the far more powerful, urgent uh, grace of God in Christ that now extends the church around the whole world uh, is an even more powerful motive uh, to eagerly give is, is part of what Paul is saying there. Well, to close, we're going to pass the baskets again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, of course. I just want to encourage you to reflect on these things to, to consider not first amounts and percentages and things, but your heart in giving. Uh, for the sake of the kingdom and others. Uh, what we should strive for is that God would have a bigger place, would dominate our lives and our hearts, so that all of life, um, in the co- especially in the context of the church and the, and the worship of, of God, would be to the glory of God, would, would be moved by the lavish grace and goodness of God, um, that we would fully trust God's powerful and, and fatherly care of us, um, and that cheerful, generous giving of ourselves, our money, our time, uh, and so on would flow from that. Let's pray together.